0: Welcome church family. Welcome guests. My name is Matt and it is good to be in God's house this morning. Uh, Hopefully some of you have worked off the rolls or the sweet potatoes or if you had three helpings of corn casserole like I did. It was good. It was good every time. Uh, It was good. Uh, Our pastor uh, is out uh, right now, he's actually on a vision trip, uh, and if you actually know where he is, just a reminder, please don't say specifically, because they're not super kind to the gospel, uh, but he's working on some missionary connections for our church uh, and possible trips in the future. And if you've been coming for a little bit, we've been working through the letter of Philippians, and Paul is writing to this church that he helped found, and they've helped fund his ministry, and he's in prison at the moment when he's writing this in Rome, and they have blessed them. Back then, the, the state did not care for you. Uh, you had friends and family help you if you wanted to like, do things like eat uh, and live, those kind of things. And this church is doing that. And so Paul, he's encouraging them. He's, he said he's praying for them. He's telling them, hey, to live is Christ and to die is gain And he's like, hey, follow this example that you have in Christ. And in chapter 2, he works through the person and the character and the humility of Christ. And then he's like, well, not just him, but look at Timothy and Epaphroditus. These are friends in the faith. And then earlier in this chapter last week, you heard Paul say, you follow me as I follow Jesus. And he said, everything I thought was gain, I count as loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord and then we get to today or he's closing out this thought at the end of chapter 3 and it reminded me uh, of just about any time uh, we go to summer camp or mission trips for our student ministry or kids. We will call up rental van places and say, hey, can we have some of your really sweet rides your cool white vans. Um, we'd love those. And, and so, yeah, we get those. Some of them are nicer than others. Let's be real. Uh, we returned one of them. We're like, this smells terrible. Uh, and so we're in a line and we look like a bunch of storm chasers as we're headed to a mission trip or summer camp. And it reminded me years and years ago, before you had this thing called Google Maps, you had like very elite people had this thing called a Garmin. And and they would they'd be like, oh yeah, and they'd have this ball thing, and it would go anywhere, and you're like, oh man, that's really cool. Maybe one day I'll get me one of those. Uh, but we had these things called maps, and you would print them out, <laughs> and then you would follow the directions on the maps. It was crazy. You might even, you, some of you, you're like, oh yeah, okay, we're going, we're going north. Okay, we're just going to keep... Do, and you would turn the map, and so that's what we would do, and so you would look at the map, but you'd also try to follow the van in front of you, and, and sure enough, on this one trip, I won't say who it was, but we're riding, uh, and a few hours into the trip, you know, the text chat of the navigators, uh, they text on there, hey, my driver says Matt's going the wrong direction. Now, granted, back then, without Google Maps, being in front was a heavy burden, and if you messed up, you never lived it down. There's, there's, Oh yeah, I remember when Matt got us lost in Colorado. Ha ha ha. It's still funny to some people. <laughs> but uh, they, they texted him, hey, Matt's on the wrong freeway. He's going the wrong way. And I was like, uh, no, I'm not. Uh, I think I'm going the right way. Which again, I was always sure I was in the moment. But I'm going the right way. And they're like, no, I'm right behind him. And we're on this freeway going this direction. And, and camp is that way. And, and I said, I looked in the side mirror. And I was like, I don't see their van. Tell them I don't see them behind me. And they're like, No, it's got to be him. I'm behind a white rental van. Yeah. And so, sure enough, uh, a few seconds pass, and they realize they're following a white rental van, just not mine. Uh, and so, of course, they thought they would assume Matt's going the wrong way, right? Ha ha. Uh, but they had to turn around. And, and in our text today, Paul is is pleading with us, and he's going to do his best to help us. Not follow the wrong rental van in life and in our faith. And so if you've got your Bibles, uh, turn uh, to Philippians chapter 3, where we're going to pick up in verse 17. Because we're all prone to follow the wrong van. And so he says, Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I've often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly or stomach, your version may say. And the glory, they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, just in case you didn't know, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. And so like I shared in this first verse 17, he calls them brothers because he loves them. And he just got done giving them example after example after example to follow. And in case you think Paul is being conceited, there's other places, anytime he's using this word, Uh, imitate. He's talking about imitate me as I follow Jesus. This was not Paul going, I have the religious red cape. I am on the hill. Follow me uh, as Super Paul leads religion. No, he's not saying that. He's saying follow me, follow Timothy, Epaphroditus. Hey, there's other people in your church that are following the example we and Christ gave you. Take note of these guys, these ladies follow their example as they're following the Lord. And this whole idea of imitating was was well known in Jewish culture. So if you were a student and you wanted to grow, you wanted to be a teacher or a rabbi, what you would do is you had to be a disciple of somebody. And so you would go to a teacher and you would say, hey, can I be your student? Can I learn from you? And you would sit down and day after day, they would teach you things and you would take it in. And you wouldn't just take in the information so that if Maddie was like, hey, here's a test, I can write out all the answers, I'm gonna guess C on most of them because I can get at least a 70 that way. No, you actually, watch this, you learned from your teacher and then you applied it to your life. You started looking like your teacher or your rabbi. Like, Like if your rabbi was really good at loving people well, guess what you would do? You would love people well if your teacher or rabbi was good at taking care of the widow, the orphan, the outcast, guess what their students were doing because they were applying the information and principles from their life. They were they were loving orphans well. They would take care of single parents. Like that's that's what they would do. If their teacher would forgive and actually love their enemies, that's what their people would do. And so this imitation was was a was a part of their culture and it's a part of our culture today. There are whole people with these degrees called marketing uh, that that's their whole job is to influence you, get you to imitate them to buy something you probably don't want to buy uh, or do some dance move that you look really silly, but if I video myself, I'm really good at it and people will, tens and tens of people will follow me, right? Uh, and then a whole social media platform is built on that. Like they're going to get you to, to wear what they're wearing. They're called an influencer, right? Uh, or to think like they want you to think. Our culture loves imitating people. And if you don't believe me, I'm going to give you an example. There's an imitator or an influencer I'll put on the screen. You may or may not know who she is, uh, but her followers actually have a nickname. Does anybody know what it is? Oh, well, look at you. Uh, Swifties, they have their own name and they follow Taylor Swift wherever, whenever, however she goes. So much so you can track this. Like she went to an NFL football game uh, and, and female viewership of the National Football League went up 63%. Uh, and she's dating a guy named, <laughs> you guys are all, some of, some of you are Swifties, aren't you? Uh, Travis Kelsey, she's dating him, and all of a sudden, his jersey sales go up 400%. We love influencers, and sometimes without being even aware of it, we're following Somebody, someone, something. And so here's a question for you and for me. Who are you following? Like, Again, I'm not saying it's a sin to like Taylor Swift. I mean, some of her songs are shady. Let's be real. Uh, if you read the lyrics, you're like, oh, hey, <laughs> we could do better. It would be good. Uh, but, like, who are you getting your cues for life and faith from? Like, are they going the right direction? Did you even stop to think of what direction they're going like, do you see these people that you're taking your cues from? Do you see godly things in their life, in their marriage? Do you look at their kids and go, I want kids like that? Or are their kids like knuckleheads? And you're like, whoa, man. <laughs> like, like, do you see that in them? And you're trying to imitate that. Like, I, I met with a man, I'm a, a big Rudy's fan. Uh, and so right there off Nassau Road, one so good. Smoked turkey sandwich. You, you will not be disappointed. And a little hot hottie this is their jalapeno sausage, so good, and I'm sitting there with him, he was in his early 40s, and he was really successful, and he had the business thing going, the finances going, uh, had the family, and he sat there, and he told me his story of how he kind of grew up in church, and got baptized three different times, because it didn't take here, And, and so maybe I tried again, and again, and yeah, but it turns out, he said, he said, Matt, I've been chasing lesser things my whole life because it turns out the American dream and the gospel are not the same. And so it's possible to be following the wrong person or thing and not even know it. And so who are you following? And so Paul encourages us, hey, take note of these people, these guys, these ladies that are following, chasing after Christ, and then he tells us why. Look at the next verse, 18. He says, for many, this is not just a few, but many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. He describes them. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame, and their minds are set on earthly things. And so apparently, Paul's got these guys, and he's like, these are the guys I want you to follow, and these guys and ladies, do not follow them. Like, watch out for them. Take note of them. Watch out for these. And he doesn't tell us exactly who they are. Like, it could be Jews, uh, in, ethnic Jews that are in Judaism religiously, and they don't, they don't get it. Maybe they say, yeah, here's Jesus, but you also got to be a Jew and follow all these laws. And so they're adding to the gospel. When you read Romans 9, That's what he says. He uses extremely emotional language in Romans 9, like even so, where he would like, I would prefer to be cut off from Christ so that my countrymen, like my fellow Jews, would see Jesus as the Messiah, the one that was going to come and make all things right. And so he could be talking uh, about Jews here who are leading people astray because they, they don't get it, but he could also be talking about teachers that would come from town to town, and they would come, and they would preach, or they would lead, or they would try to guide. And he's saying, these these guys, watch their life, because you're going to be able to tell if they're really following Jesus, or if they're following someone else. And so, his first descriptor was, they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. And again, you could tell if someone's following Jesus by how they talk about the cross. How they talk about Jesus. And you could see, even from the gospel, how it could create enemies. Because Jesus said things like, No one gets to the Father but through me. Like, He didn't say, Hey, God loves you, and God loves, and He loves you so much that your sin doesn't matter. We're just gonna, where's a rug? I'm gonna sweep that sin right up under there. No, like sin mattered, and I had to go to the cross for it. Like, it was extremely exclusive. He said, If you don't get me, you don't get the Father. And when you come to the cross, you come. The only thing you bring is your sin. You don't bring any awesomeness, any good works. And that creates an enemy because a lot of times we want to do it ourselves or we think we're better than we are or we're owed more than, than death. Like we, we think we're great. And so he says some of them walk as enemies of the Christ. And also he says their end point is different. If they said, Alexa, take me home, uh, theirs takes them to destruction. He says at the end of all days... Uh, they're not where you think they're going to be. And so it looked like these guys and ladies, they looked like they could be in part of the church there in Philippi. Maybe they looked and dressed like a follower of Jesus, and maybe they dressed up on Easter. Maybe they took communion in the right way. But he said, if you look at their life, the transforming nature of the cross and repentance did not, wasn't seen in them and how they loved people, how they treated people, how they, how they viewed people and their value, their worth. You didn't see it. And then he says, hey, their God is their stomach or their belly. Like they could have been, again, Jews who said, hey, yes, Jesus, plus 613 of your favorite Jewish laws uh, where you can't eat. Uh, I remember I was in Israel once and there's a, there's a Burger King um, don't judge, there wasn't a whole lot of food options in the Middle East. Uh, it was a Burger King there in Capernaum, and they would not give me a burger with cheese, because there's the verse in Leviticus talking about don't boil a goat and its mother's milk, and just in case that cow was the milk of this mom for the cheese, it was so wild. Uh, but they have all these rules, and they're like, hey, you follow Jesus, yeah, but then follow all these dietary and holy laws. And Paul's saying, no, like, that's not God. But, but more than likely, he's probably talking about people whose appetite and desires were, were set in the wrong place. Like they were, they were wanting earthly desires and filling it with you name it, whether that's power, pleasure, money, stuff. I'm sure there's a ra- reality TV show of all of those. You, you can see it. Uh, but really, that's what basically the Greek and Roman gods were, right? Like if you think back to school, if you studied any of that, were they not basic human desires just on steroids? Like for instance, uh, if, you, if you wanted to be beautiful, you wanted to be the cutest thing in the room, You were, which is where we get the word hedonism, like you, if you loved uh, wine, they had Bacchus, they had the party god Bacchus, and you would follow him. That's all it was, was all these human desires for good things, but going at them in a wrong way, and they were just deified. And Paul says, these guys, they can't get enough of these things. And then he says, they glory in their shame. And so he says, things that they should be ashamed of, they would parade around, like as if this is right. And they would just flaunt things that They should be like, no, I I shouldn't do that. And then he lands, I don't know if you caught it, where he lands explains all the rest. He says their minds are set on earthly things. Like they thought and lived as if our existence right here on earth was it. Like that it was the only thing. They didn't just simply think about things. Like their minds were set on these things and one of the easiest ways to tell if that's describing you or me is to look at our appetites. Like, what are what are you chasing after? Like, think about it. Like, maybe even the things that no one else, or you think no one else knows, but if they know you, they know. Uh, like, because you will rule your appetites or they will rule you. I'll give you an example. Uh, nobody looks at a parent and says, uh, a parent that says, hey, yeah, here's my kids and my marriage but this this bottle of this liquid or this substance or this other person who's not my spouse like that's better. No one does that cuz they ask that question like why would why would they choose that bottle or that thing over me their their kid or their son. And objectively, those are bad trades. Like to look at like This, whatever this thing is, whether it's a person, an experience, uh, whatever, and then look here and go, Yeah, I know God says go this way, but I'm going to go this way. And this is worth all the family destruction, all the hurt relationally, all the little league times. And I'm willing to make everything harder with my kids as far as birthdays, holidays, engagements, grandkids, all because of this. You would go, That's a bad trade. Or if you've seen single people that are lonely and they're like, they're trying to follow the Lord and they're like, man, I'm so lonely, uh, but here's someone and, and they start a relationship with someone they know God doesn't have for them. And they know it's not going in a right direction, uh, but they're, they're lonely and so they're willing to compromise their character and the Mr. or Miss Right that God has been cultivating for them for Mr. or Miss Right now, and it's a bad trade. Like you, you think loneliness is bad, try being married and lonely because you married someone and they're going a different direction than you in faith. We could keep going, uh, but you kind of get the point. You will rule your appetites or they will rule you. And so the Jesus posers that Paul's talking about had their minds set on earthly things. And really Paul says, no, here's, here's a reminder of where our minds should be. And here's where we're going to land. Look at verse 20. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven. Like in from it, we await. Some of your versions say eagerly await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. And so Paul gives us the primary reason we should follow his and others' examples who are following Christ. He says, this is is not the end. It's not the end. There's a a future fulfillment of God's kingdom. There's something right now, like we're ushering it in, Christ in our heart, and in here, the rule and reign of Christ. But there's going to be a day where he returns, and that's our home. And he says, that's why. Like, the... The end should matter. And so he wasn't telling these Philippians, hey, renounce your citizenship because you're a kingdom of heaven. No, he wasn't trying to start a riot or to overthrow Rome. He was saying, you guys belong to a greater kingdom. And just like you're living out your Roman citizenship and as a citizen out here in this outpost of Philippi, you guys should be living as citizens of God's kingdom wherever he has you planted. And you're going to be hope and light and peace wherever you're at. Like when someone looks at you, they look at the priorities of your life and what's going on, they should see, oh, that person follows Jesus. They look like their their teacher, their, their master. And it says, we eagerly await uh, a Savior, and it's Christmas season now, officially, the day after this is The only time I will start listening to Christmas music, and uh, I watched Elf after, so it's official. Now we're in the Christmas season. Uh, And some of you are already eagerly awaiting what will be under the tree for you. Some of you are super nosy, and you've already tried to research maybe your parents' Amazon account to see what they've been looking at. Uh, to see. Some of you are so eager, not even for your own gift, you're excited because this person is going to get the perfect gift that you got them and you can't wait. Like some of you like get sweaty because you're like, ooh, what are they going to open? And then you forgot how you wrapped it and you're like, oh man, is this the right one? And it's got to be in the right order. Whatever. Paul says that's how we should await Christ. We should be looking forward to when he's going to return and make all things new. And he calls him Savior on purpose, by the way. Uh, Savior was a term usually reserved for Caesar in the first century. And so one commentator said, Paul co-opted another Old Testament term for God and unflinchingly attributes it to Christ. It looks like Paul said, hey, Jesus is God. In case you didn't know, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then Paul says, hey, our bodies are going to be transformed by Christ, by that same power that he has as God. And for for those of you 40 and up in the room, or if you're under 40 and you've had an injury, you know these bodies were not made for eternity. Right? Like something hurts, or you've injured something, or you've had surgery, uh, and it's never been the same. Or maybe you take those fruit and veggie pills that I see on TV, and they're like, oh, I'm 73. I take care of dogs every day. Uh, Maybe you're feeling better. I I almost get those, but if you look at that, it's so expensive. Back to Paul. Uh, But, (laughs) You know these bodies weren't meant for eternity. And Paul says when Christ comes back, you get one that doesn't have sin. Like, I, 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 amen, yeah, because we can't imagine that. Like, we, we grew up in these. Like, these bodies are decaying. They're not meant for eternity, but you're going to get one that does. And if you're like, oh, that sounds kind of like the Marvel comic universe. Uh, no, it looks like it's the power he has as God to raise from the dead and to create all things. So I'm going to trust him like we just sang and I will trust in God. And Paul knows he's pointing us to the end because how we see the end always informs how we live in the present. Like how we see how the end of all days works out affects how we live Today. And for those of you who have been listening and you're like, man, this is really hard. Or maybe God is messing with your heart. Or maybe even today you're in a place where you've been considering doing something really, really shady. And you're like, I know God says, does this. Man, how, man, I hope nobody hears my thoughts. Like my interior monologue. I hope it's not broken. And somebody hears what I'm about to do. Like, listen, like this life, our bodies, the result of your and my poor choices, sinful choices, and paths that we've taken are not the end of our story. If you're in Christ, that's important. Like, that's not the end. Like, the busted up relationships and things you've done and I've done on accident and on purpose, if we're honest, that's not the end of our story. That's that's why we're we're about to sing a song um, called Amazing Grace. Like it's not, like they didn't write the song and it was labeled okay grace uh, or, or mid grace or just, just above good grace. No, it's called amazing grace because in spite of our weakness, in spite of our a- appetites that choose sinful things, God loved us and he made a way through Jesus on the cross to have peace with God again because how we see the end always affects how we live in the present Uh, And so I'm going to leave you with just a few questions, and then you're going to have a chance to respond, and you can respond where you're at. You can pray. God hears you anywhere. Uh, You can come up here and pray if you want, or there'll be some of us on staff up here if you want someone to pray over you, pray with you. Uh, But if God is messing with you, don't waste today. And so first question would be, who are you following? And I'm not talking about social media. Some of you follow a lot of people there. But who are you following? Who do you get your cues from? Who are you imitating? Think about them. Like, do they look and love like Jesus, the people that you follow? That Paul in your life that that you want to emulate and pattern your life after? Do they want, they, they make you want to love Jesus more? Or would they lead you to pursue lesser things or things that the world has to offer? Like when I'm doing premarriage counseling with a couple before we get to that day, I ask a lot of hard questions here. But one of their assignments is they have to find two couples that have been married 10 years or more and take them to coffee or dinner. And actually, I tell them they'll probably buy because they've been married a lot longer than you. So you get a free meal and you get to pick their brain. The whole point of that is to go, how'd you do it? Like, how are you, how'd you not kill each other after the first year? Like, you guys look like you're still in love. Like, again, be choosy. Don't pick somebody that's been married 20 years and looks miserable. That's, that's not in here. <laughs> Saw that ring, Katie, by the way. Saw that ring. Doing the announcements. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Like, it matters who you follow. There was one of the summer camps uh, that we went to. They, they give you chances to earn points for your team. And uh, on one of them, only the Lord knows why, they say, hey, we're going to have a 5K uh, yeah, that's what I said. And, and, and you show up for your team, you earn points. And so one of my sons was like, hey dad, will you run the 5k with me? And I said, I love you. Why do I have to prove it in this way? <laughs> but but it was like, okay, so we get up. And, and of course, it's not at 11. It's at 6 in the morning where, where we're trying to pray probably in the Lord and in our rest. Uh, and so I get up And we go, they say, one, two, three, go. And and they blew a whistle or something. And we take off. Well, the fast people take off first. And we're towards the back because they're like cross-country people. Some of our students were those. And they had their camp staff all over the campus telling you go this way, go this way. Well, we go by this one guy. He's like, go this way. So we're running. We're running. We're chugging. Downhill, loved it. Uphill, not so much. And so we're going and, and we're following these people. Look like they know where they're going. And so we make this loop. We come back around to the same guy. And he's like, go this way. And I'm like, no, we just went that way. And, and he, ha- he didn't have a stern face. I was like, I'm, I'm here. I'm in charge of our group. But he's like, no, you got to go this way. So I'm like, you know what? We're going to go this way. And so we do that loop about three times, and then I hear one of their camp staff on their walkie-talkie as we go past. She's like, hey, uh, the Go Pack Go guy just passed me three times, and he's only supposed to go by once. Uh, and so our 5K was really like a 7K uh, <laughs> because we were following the wrong directions. So who are you following is number one. Don't waste seasons of your life pursuing lesser things. It's not worth it. It's a bad trade. Secondly, if, let's just say hypothetically, if everybody in the church looked at your life and they followed you, what would our church look like? Yeah, think about that. Like would we, would the whole church be like incredibly humble and loving and generous, would we be inviting our neighbors? Cause usually we assume, well, he's gonna invite somebody, she's gonna invite somebody. I'm just gonna be here for them. When they come, like, like do we would we be taking care of and looking out for widows and orphans, single parents, those that don't have a voice? Would we make sure someone's invited to Thanksgiving? Because we know it's gonna be hard, because Thanksgiving's not easy and Christmas, not easy for everybody, depending on the season they're in? Would we have kids and student ministry spots filled with leaders and helpers that want to let the gospel and the beauty of Jesus sit and impact the next generation for his kingdom? Or would we just have a bunch of helpers because nobody wants the responsibility of actually leading and teaching them, even though we you can be trained to do it? Because, Or, or maybe, would we have adult spaces and kids' faces also where we, we have leaders, or would everybody just assume everybody else should work their full-time job, be in the Word and prayer, and come and disciple my kids and me? Would we have greeters greeting people, or would you assume everybody else is doing it? Would we have a security team that could make our guests feel safe uh, and, and welcome? Would we have summer camps if, if everybody was as generous as you, and again, I'm not talking an amount, I'm talking percentage, because everything belongs to God. If everybody else gave the same percentage you did to further his kingdom, would we be able to go to summer camp? Would we be able to have vacation Bible school here? Would we be able to turn the lights on? Would we be able to have our food pantry that feeds families week after week? Would we be able to send our pastor like today on a vision trip so that our church can partner uh, with some international mission board missionaries on another part of the planet where? The gospel is really, really hard and a bit dangerous. We could go on and on, but basically, if Paul were to look at your life and my life, would he tell others to take note of them or watch out for them? And finally, where do your appetites point to as home? Like if you said, appetites, take me home, where to dress are they going? Is it, is it here? Or, or is it God's kingdom like if, like if you looked at how you spend your time, your treasure, your talents, your energy, your free time, like would it look like you're a citizen of his kingdom or that you're following somebody else? And again, for, for those of you like that you feel like even this morning you're ferociously pursuing something that doesn't matter in the long run or something that will destroy a whole lot of things around you before you make that poor trade, I beg you, see what God has for you. It's better. That's what Paul, that's the whole Bible screams. Like Jesus is better and you you will rule your appetites or they will rule you. And so uh, just to give you a little more bad news, uh, the bad news is our hearts chase after wrong things. Like we we cap on kids, like if you're a babysitter kid, where do they want to go? The light socket. And they're just like, ooh, look at this. And they they want to shove their finger, and you're like, you don't want to say it, but you're like, man, your kid's not really smart. Like they're going, but that's us. We pursue things that hurt us all the time. And we, we think, oh man, you know what? This is not working. Let me get more of not what's not working, and maybe that'll work. It's a really dumb idea but that's us. And so the bad thing is we pursue sinful things in rebellion against the king of all creation, and we're terrible at fixing ourselves. Usually we make the mess worse. But the good news is that's what God does. He He works on our hearts. He's the only thing that can change our hearts. And he says, if you will agree with God about your sin, like it's worse than we think, You'll turn from that sin. like You're like, I'm going this way, but I'm going to go this way. I'm going to repent. And then you follow Jesus. He says in that moment, he makes you new. You make him Lord of your life. The authority of your life and heart shifts to him. He says he makes you new. Again, that's why it's called amazing grace. And so that grace drives you to look like a citizen of his kingdom. Because how we see the end always informs how we live in the present. So I'm going to pray for us, and then you're going to have just one song, so don't waste it, a moment to respond to God this morning, however he's speaking to you.